grateful for your word. May your word penetrate our hearts. Lord God, may it break away shadows in our minds. May it make the, uh, the image that we see in the mirror clearer, not only of who you are, but of who we are in you. Lord, break hearts today. Open minds. Today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So our study of Nehemiah has focused on mainly revival, but each week there's been a, a subtopic. Today's minor topic really is about celebration with thanksgiving, but that's going to lead to, to me, a much greater uh, idea. So we're going to walk through the scriptures verse by verse, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, so we understand the narrative, and then we're going to talk about this broader idea. Chapter 12, verse 27, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the elders in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Can somebody tell me why were the Levites sent for? Who were the Levites? If you're going to say it nice and loud. <laughs> Okay, the Levites helped people who were crying out to God. Praise the Lord. Great answer. Was there something special about the Levites? Anybody else? Oh, come on. You guys are caught. Thank you. Royal priesthood. So they were sent. They, they spread them out over various cities and, and uh, towns. My assumption is kind of as like spiritual cops to make sure the people in the places were doing the right things. And if the people in the places had an opportunity that they needed to talk to somebody in their own town, the Levites were. So they were sent. Nehemiah understood that the priests were the people's connection and that they were mediators. And any formal interaction with Yahweh, the Levites were part of it. And they understood that in order for this celebration process to begin, the Levites were the first ones who needed to be called. When I look at the order and the respect for God's directive, it provides such an excellent foundation from where to start what I'm going to call this celebration of fulfillment that Nehemiah undertakes. Now to bring the priests here, you and I really don't comprehend the severity of difference in the Old Testament and New Testament. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the Old Testament, that would have been a little bit different scenario. I would have said, hey, Bets, I'll be back in a little bit. Go out back, grab an animal, go find a priest, and have them offer up a sacrifice for my sin. So there's a huge difference. Today we rely on Christ. Things were much, much different then. Thanksgiving always accompanies celebration. You know, you guys have heard tomorrow is Betty's 60th birthday, and I asked her to make sure she didn't mind. Everybody knows she's 60. You know, my son flies in with his son to celebrate my wife. 
Yesterday was a time of remembrances where we said a bunch of cool things that Betty's been part of and that we remember Betty for. And we're going to do that for a couple of days because in the Rojak household, man, we celebrate birthdays a long time. So what or whom were they celebrating? You know, we were just worshiping the Lord in songs. And as we sing, what's inherent in these songs but accolades of God? Who He is, what He does, and how He acts. All of the things that we're going to see that Nehemiah, that the elders celebrated, all stemmed from God. They might have different names, but the songs that we've been singing today said everything comes from God. So the things that they were celebrating included the gift of vision that God had given Nehemiah. You know, reading through the Old Testament with BSF, there's a number of times when God is silent. And so when God speaks, they were celebrating not only God speaking to Nehemiah, but God giving Nehemiah ears to hear and a heart of obedience. They included the mercy of the king of Persia who gave Nehemiah permission to leave. Now think about this, guys. You guys know Jeannie Way is the administrative assistant. I'm glad Pastor Leon's sitting down. So Leon, what would happen if Jeannie came to you and said, hey, got to go back to my city. Man, they need some help. I got to do some typing. So Leon's going to say, well, Ginny, like a couple weeks? Ginny says, well, you know, maybe a little bit longer than that. Leon says, a couple of months. Ginny says, a little more than a decade. (laughs) They also received signed letters of protection. And again, I really want to try to help you guys understand In today's world, that might not mean much, but back then, there was kings and kingdoms scattered throughout, and there were territories where there was constant warfare, where a king was protecting his kingdom, and he was trying to usurp new kingdoms. So to have protection from the father, or from the Persian king, was one thing. And the other thing to think about is there was spiritual warfare going on. Israel was God's chosen people. And no one wanted Israel to have their own land. So not only was there the physical persecution, but there was a spiritual warfare that was going on. And the signed letters from the king himself offering safe passage, not only to, but while they were building it. And a request for materials. I mean, think about if Home Depot wasn't here. Where would we be fixing up homes? But think about even the step previous to that, raw materials. In order for them to build walls, gates, anything, they had to have raw materials. And they've got letters in requests for materials. They were celebrating the people who heard God's call. Last week, Leon talked about casting lots. And when a lot was cast... And it had Kamal's name on it. Kamal upped and moved his family from north of here down to wherever God had called him. 
They were grateful for strength and perseverance to accomplish such a daunting task as rebuilding the walls and the gates. They were thankful not only for God's protection in the process, but in least amount, small measure, for this was a fulfillment of promises made to ancestors long ago. Now again, it wasn't completely completed, but there was a, a point of fulfillment here. They were celebrating the Him, H-I-M, who made all these things possible with the fulfilled promises given long ago. You know, that last song we sang, you made a way, you moved mountains. We don't know how. We don't even know why sometimes. But we're standing here only because that you made a way. So Joseph Brennan and I attend a local Bible study called BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. And a week or so ago, there was three of us meeting and we were talking. We are telling how we've seen the Lord move in our lives. And this guy said, man, doing this presentation. This guy's name's Mark. This guy's doing this presentation. He has an entire team create this presentation because he's going to try to receive a grant. And, and man, they, they set this presentation up. Mark goes in, and he absolutely falls flat on his face. He walks out of there, and he said to us, they should have fired me. And then he goes on to tell the story that this meeting was canceled. So a friend called and said, hey, can you come meet this guy? And so he went and met this guy, and this guy told him about somebody else. And through such of an incredible convoluted scheme, some guy died three years ago, and there was a trust set up. Mark said, man, I didn't do anything right, but God intervened, and we got a grant. So man, we're hallelujah, cool. So then we go on with our Bible study. We listen to the lecture. And when we're leaving, I said, man, Mark, you know, I shook his hand. I said, that was a really encouraging word. I said, do you mind if I ask how much the grant was? $50 million. And we're standing here only because you made a way. That's the size of this project that Nehemiah accomplished with God's help. I mean, 50 million bucks, that's, that's big money. The walls, the gates, was a big project. And the priests and the Levites, verse 30, purified themselves, and they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Again, there's some pretty significant things going on here. Note the process, note the order of purification, the seriousness of this undertaking with God. Again, I'm going to bring up BSF. We're in BSF, and one of the questions said, what do you do to prepare before you walk through those doors on Sunday morning? And frankly, I'm ashamed of myself to tell you, like, I usually don't do much. I get up in the morning, I pray, and I pray for whoever's speaking. But as far as personal preparation, I think in my mind I've let that slip to communion time. But by then, isn't it almost too late? I've just been worshiping the Lord. I've been trying to have ears to hear what His Word has to say. And I want to encourage you guys, even as Nehemiah said, Levites, let's start here. Levites purified themselves, purified the people, 
and then purify the walls and the gates, even before they began celebration of thanksgiving. So I encourage you guys, think about that before you come here on Sunday. Don't wait till communion. Ask the Lord, hey, is there something standing in the way? Is there something I need to repent of? And, and just think about that in remembrance of him. Okay, 12, 31 through 37. Then I brought the leaders of Judah, go up onto the wall, and appointed two great choirs that give thanks. One went to the south of the wall, so the dung gate. After them went Hoshiah, and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Malilo, Galilah, Maiah, Nathaniel, Judah, Hanani, the musical instruments of the David, of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribes went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David, to the water gates on the east. Over two miles long were the walls. Two miles. Forty foot tall, eight foot wide, twelve years in the making. Blood, sweat, tears, fears at great cost. This was a big deal and it was no small party. I kind of mentioned it before. Would anybody who owns a home, would you raise your hand? Okay, it's a large portion of us. Again, what did it take for you to prepare to get into your house? What does it take now with the help of electric drill motors, with the help of Home Depot delivery, with the help of paid professionals to get this stuff done? I, I just, again the taste in your mouth when the basement floods and you know you got to dig the whole thing up or pay somebody. Walls two miles long, 40 foot tall, eight foot wide. This was a big deal. While I'm reading this chapter in Nehemiah, frankly, I'm frustrated again with this references to genealogies, names of walls and gates that seemingly have nothing to do or no bearing on my life whatsoever. I'm reading through a bunch of other stuff. I'm reading through Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. I'm like, genealogies, come on. What does 2 Timothy 3.16 says? All scripture is inspired and worthy for our attention. And I know that God does not intend his word to be some wasted time of some architectural discussion. So I'm praying, it's like, Lord, like, come on, man, what, what, what's the point here? And Jonathan said to this to me earlier today, so you gotta find the point. I'm all, I think I'm gonna hit it. <laughs> I thought possibly that the author was providing an environment of remembrance. The form of that word, remembrance, is used over 260 times, 171 times in the old Old Testament alone. And here's where I want to go with this. I'm going to try to make some parallels and analogies, and I hope that I've done this well. Names represent more than facts, 
faces, locations, or functions. Each comes with a story that defines the very name that's used. When I mention a gate that we call the Ambassador Bridge, immediately in your mind, you guys think, what, three miles long, steel suspension bridge, built in 1917, over a body of water, connects Detroit, Canada. All these facts go through your mind. But for me, I have relatives that lived right across the bridge. Aunt Alice that we go visit all the time. Great caramel. Great Chinese dim sum. Some of you guys might think, man, I hate water. I hate the idea that, man, the bridge might break. So not only are there facts and figures there, but there's ideas that are associated with those names. If you guys have ever heard of Point Pelee, every year the monarch butterflies fly there before they head to Mexico. And the trees, instead of having leaves, are all monarch butterflies. That's my memory. When I mention the word, the wall of Detroit, what do you guys think of? Eight mile, right? Eight miles of wall. South of it, poverty, African Americans, Detroit, stay away. Is there a wall there? No. But there's an emotional wall. There's a socioeconomic wall. Brick and mortar? No. But in your and my mind, you, we know. Cross 8 Mile? Okay. I'm in Happyville. South 8 Mile? Not so much. When I say Martin Luther King, I can hear his voice from speeches I've heard. I see his little portly face, little stash, right? But think about that name. I mean, you, what, how can you attach anything to that? Phenomenal man of God who set the civil rights in motion and who's done so much at a young age. The name is more than the accumulative facts of who he is. I can hear his voice in my head. Just like not all those celebrating understood the significance of the wall's completion, the stories or functions of the gates, genealogies, so my guess it is that everyone here at Mac doesn't really understand Mac's storied history. A few weeks at back, Mac, ago, Mac Ave began a new chapter, even as Israel did in this section of Scripture, we did with the installation of Pastor Leon. So I thought it might be cool and fitting to do some remembrance of Mac and its history. Will everybody stand up? Unless you got a baby in your lap. If you guys have been here, for, or attending Mac, whatever, for a year or less, would you sit down? Three years. Five. Seven. Nine. 
All right. I knew, I knew the patties would be here. Cool. Okay. Everybody sit down. So Max, Max got a great history. Whether you've been here for a month or you're a founding member, I want to remind you of some of the marks that Mac has left on this community. Now, here's the one that always kills me when somebody up here says it. Who can tell me Mac's vision? Who's got Mac's vision? Nice and loud, Jonathan. Come on. <laughs> Seeing communities transform both spiritually and physically, starting with our own. So we're going to start with a little genealogies here. Brian Hogel. I've known Brian six-ish plus years. Lived with Ted, used to be a MAC member who now goes to the local Catholic church. And then Brian said, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to put some roots down. I'm going to buy a house. Hooks up with Taproot, buys a home over by Pingree Park, and and I've got everybody's permission to share all this stuff. I want you guys to know. <laughs> and Brian didn't tell me this part, but I'm going to tell you something. Guaranteed, Brian spent more money on that house than he could have or should have, right? Is he ever going to get that back? No. Does he care? No. Because he wanted to say something to this community. I'm down. I'm here. I'm vested. So his neighbors knew his true intentions. So right around that time, Brian's, his parents come back to faith. I mean, head first, they dove in. He's putting up insulation with his dad. And Brian's telling me that his dad's the kind of guy, literally, he's got five translations of the scriptures on his desk. Because that's who his dad is. I think his dad's older than I am. And it took that long. But his parents came back to faith. And I remember Brian telling me, praise the Lord. I remember Brian telling me that both sets of grandparents loved the Lord. And something happened. Something happened where his parents just quit going to church. And his parents come back to faith. And then Brian marries Megan Hush. And now they got another Hogel, Lucy. From godly grandma, parents, Brian and Megan, Lucy. That's a great heritage. The Davis family, Carolyn, Carl, Christopher, native Detroiter. When we first moved down here, Carolyn and Carl had lost their house due to some financial issues living over on Townsend in the house that she was raised at, in with her brother and his family. One family in a house is difficult enough. Two families is torture. <laughs> and we laugh, but I'm going to tell you what, every Mac group, Carolyn's Prayer, I want my own house back on Burns. I'm tired of this. House comes back up for sale, and something goes screwed up in the paperwork, and they lose the opportunity again to buy that house. And that was their home. And God made a way, and they were able to buy the house back. And in the middle of that, a tragic miracle happened. July 4th, before they move into the house, 
They're back there on Burns celebrating the fireworks. It's night. Carl walks back to go do something, trips over a piece of concrete, falls, blows his cranium open, look at his scar, breaks his neck, lying face first in a pool of blood, and he says, Lord, is this what you have for me? Is this how I'm going to die? And he said, Lord, please, with the fireworks going, nobody's going to hear me crying out. Would you stop the fireworks? Yeah, right. On July 4th, guess what happened? Fireworks stop. Carl cries out. Carolyn finds him, rushes him to the hospital. A number of us went to visit Carl in the hospital, sitting in bed, blasted open, in pain, can't, just freaked out in pain, on fire. He said, so much so that the sheet touching him was excruciating. And he cries out to God, and he told me, Matt, blanket of warmth came down on me. No more pain. Throw some steel rods in his neck, transfer him to another room. He wakes up. He sees this number on his board. Hey, what's that number? Six to eight. I said, yeah, you're going to be in rehab six to eight months. He says, nope. Lord told me if I follow him, it's going to be way, way, way less than that. Two, three weeks, four weeks, month, he's out of there. Oh, and I lost my best line. I was going to say they turned down the morphine drip on that. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now, Carl comes to faith. Carl comes to faith. And there's a hole between him and Carolyn. Now they got a new roof, new front porch, and they're in their home with Christopher. Great genealogy. Bobby Simpson, native Detroiter, single mom, six kids. Call her up this past week or two weeks ago. Hey, I want to use you. Talk to me. I said, how'd this whole thing start? And these are her words, okay? Not mine. She said, she walks in her door and she says, what are these white people doing here talking to my mom? And then she hears the gospel from them and she hears about Mac and she comes and her faith is revived. And now she's taking care of her mom, she's taking care of her six kids, wants to see them come to faith. So I said, okay, Bobby, you know, I need more for the story. I said, um, I said, if you're going to die, what do you want on your tombstone? Or what do you want people at Mac to know about you? And she says, well, you know, I really care about people. I'm all, geez, oh, Pete, everybody says that. Come on. I said, what does that look like to you? Or what have you done? I mean, like, give, give, give me some help here. And she said, well, my kids get pretty frustrated with me because at one point in time there was 17 people living in my house. Lord, forgive me for my cynicism. Great word, Bobby. That's a great heritage. Walls provide protection for all within its scope and provide boundaries for community living. Kind of talked about that, right? Eight Mile, Berlin Wall, Bernadette, you guys know her, and Sandra are watch women of the walls. 
And I asked them, hey, I want to use you guys. Can we talk? I think you guys know that Bernadette's a lawyer, and she fights for people with no voice, probably because they don't have the money or they don't necessarily understand the tax laws whose homes have been unjustly taken from them. She's a watchwoman of the wall. She stands on the wall to make sure politicians, laws don't steal from those that they can't or shouldn't steal from. And I same thing to Sandra. Sandra, tell me what you do. She said, basically, you guys give us your tax money and I make sure it's spent right. I said, so like we don't pay 10 bucks for a pencil? She said, yep. And I said, also so that not all the money goes to Corktown and Midtown and happy places, but some comes north of Mac towards Pingree Park? She said, yeah. They're watch women of the wall. One function of gates is to welcome or allow access into a community. The commons. Mac Church bought that thing a decade ago, and I know it was like 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, two-story building. Six years ago, a committee gets formed. Hey, we want some businesses coming back to Detroit on Mac Avenue. Let's do something with the building. What are we going to do? Enter Sarah Bowman. Great idea. Let's have... Coffee shop, laundromat. Thank you, Sarah Bowman. Through, man, I mean, for those of you guys who are new here, you didn't see what that place looked like. (laughs) Through perseverance, through some absolute gifts of God and graces and hard workers and people with vision and people who wouldn't say no or they wouldn't take no for an answer. We got what? Two $250,000 grants from the Kresge Foundation amidst a host of other things. And our desire is that be a gateway not only into the 48214 but into MAC development in the Mac Church, where Gross Pointers, Indian Villagers, West Villagers, and those of us who live in the 48214 can come in and not just the poor do their laundry and the rest of us drink lattes, but where we can actually have conversation and talk about hard, deep, complicated, scary, weird topics. It's a gate into Mac development and Mac church. It's a gate into the 48214. Pingree Park. Man, when I came here seven years ago, eight years ago, that place was dead. One of the first times we're there, we're doing a three-on-three tournament, and I can't remember who I was with, but we're sitting there and we're brooming glass off, and backboards are gone, and whoever this... I think it was Josh Fout was with me. And uh, some dude comes walking up to us, young African-American guy, 35-ish, Trey. He says, hey, I live right Canfield Burns. He said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, we have a three-on-three tournament every year through our church, you know, blah, blah, blah. We got, we're, you know, we're cleaning up. We're going to put some backboards. Reaches in his pocket, pulls out $300 cash, 
hands it to me and says, can I pay for the backboards? I'm like, seriously? You don't even know who I am. Gives me 300 bucks. Jump ahead two years later. They'd already, you know, backboards got stolen at least two more times. And we're there for the third time putting them up. And a young 12-year-old kid comes up to me, young African-American kid, 12 years old. He says, what are you guys doing? I said, man, we're putting up backboards. <laughs> he says, do you guys need a rim? Somebody had given him a breakaway rim. And he goes home and gets a breakaway rim and brings it to me that, so that we can use it. 12-year-old kid. Pingree Park is a gate to Mac Development, to Mac Ave. I got to tell you, the best salvation message I think I've ever heard, and I'll maybe define it with the under 15 minutes, was Demetrius at one, of the term, at one of the tournaments. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was about the walking dead. I had no idea what the walking dead was. <laughs> and he killed it. No pun intended. <laughs> he nailed the sermon. The gospel goes forth during Max soccer on a regular basis. I'll tell you, one of the best memories I have is to see the park filled with people and kids and grandparents and aunts and uncles celebrating their kids playing soccer, celebrating three-on-three tournaments. You guys, a lot of you guys know what Taproot is. Taproot's a local organization. number of people are investors in it. Bought some homes. It's a gateway into the community. And probably for me, one of the coolest gates that they have is D&D storage. And I'll tell you why. There's a guy named Damon Cannon, who some of you guys know. Damon Cannon's a young African-American guy. I'm guessing 45-ish, Leon, 48-ish. Comes to Mac every once in a while. His brother comes to Mac every once in a while. Three years, four years ago, we're at the Waldorf. And this is right when a whole bunch of the African-American young men are getting killed. And leadership says, man, we got to talk about this. We're the church. We need to have an active voice in this. So we basically don't have church service. And as a congregation, we're talking about this. And Eric Russ says, hey, Damon, stand up. Tell us your story. Damon says, basically, so again, he's 48-ish now, so this is what, 25 years ago-ish? Having a par- going to college, throws a party, drinking, having a party, right? They're drinking. Cops come, bust it. Whose place is this? Mine. We're going to charge you. You got two options, A or B. B's a better option. He said, but I didn't do B. Yeah, but B's going to get expunged from your record sooner. A's going to linger. Damon says, okay. Signs the paperwork. Finds out it was a felon. Can't be expunged from his record. Graduates college and has poor jobs since then. You know, either can't get a good job or they don't last. So along comes along comes D and D storage. 
says, hey, bud, we need a manager. Are you interested in managing this thing? He says, yeah, baby. He jumps in through the gate, through the gate of Mac Development, Taproot, and now the felon tag is, is pretty irrelevant because guess what? He's doing a great job. That is probably my favorite story. I don't have any application questions, guys, because in my mind, we just went through the whole application. This is about a parallel for Mac Ave to remember Carl Davis, Damon Cannon, how long the Patties have been here, the sacrifices they've made, and the things that God has done. He's got seeds planted all over the 48214 that we have not seen germinate yet. Underground roots, the tentacles of Mac Church stretch far and wide. And as Nehemiah and the boys celebrated with thanksgiving the dedication of the wall and said, hey, you remember the Dungate when that thing didn't even work? Hey, do you remember when we connected the two walls that offered full protection? And when the gates actually worked up and down so we could close them at night so thieves and marauders couldn't come in. They celebrated the remembrance of who God was and that in the middle of it, God made a way. They were celebrating that God was the initiator of the fulfillment of the completion of those walls and gates. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, I think we would fall dead before you if we understood exactly how great you are and the things that you've done with us, through us, regardless of us, that you've made a way. When Mac's back was against the wall, didn't have money for the commons, you made a way. When Pingree Park was dead, and the community didn't see any life there. You made a way and brought life to the park. There are lives in here, Lord God, that you have touched dramatically and some that you've touched in really small ways but have made significant change. So, Lord, we want to celebrate you. We want to honor you with thanksgiving of what you've done. And, Lord, during all those prayer requests, my heart had hope because we know that you know. And we know that not only do you know, but you're the king of power. And you're the king of doing. And you're the king of acting. And you're the king of justice and of mercy and of comfort and of grace and of peace. So Lord, we just cry out to you in Jesus' name, Lord. Help us to remember well. And each and every day, Lord God, may you put within our heart a celebration of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to take uh, tithe and offering. And if you're a member of Mac and you want to participate, praise the Lord.